Good morning, everybody. Great to see you all. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and a part of our preaching team. And for those of you that are joining us uh, online, we're glad that you're participating today as well. As Seth said, this is uh, a special day. And I think this message is going to actually communicate well to those who are being baptized as well as to every uh, one else. Um, you know, I'm not a super handy person. I think most of you know that if something breaks around our house, uh, Molly has to fix it, uh, or we have to hire somebody. Um, so, but I've had these times. I remember a few years ago, the, the van that we had, um, you know, we were driving it and it just started uh, smoking out of the hood, uh, kind of a thing. And so, pull over, you know, and so what do I do? I mean, I, here's what I do I, I pull over and I pop the hood and I open it up. I know how to do that. And I'm staring at it. <laughs> and Molly's like, what are you doing? I said, nothing, I'm doing nothing, right? I'm, I'm doing what you're supposed to do. Like, this is what, when your car breaks down, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to, you know, I got to stare at it like I know what I'm doing, right? But I have no idea, right? I'm doing nothing. I'm going through the motions of whatever you would do to try to fix your car. But in actuality, I'm doing nothing. And here's what I think Jesus is going to say in this passage today is that so many people live that way, full of activity, full of kind of going through the motions, actually accomplishing nothing. Staring into the void, all of this activity, all of this action, worthless. Jesus has already said in the Gospel of John, that's what we're studying through, that's why we're in this passage as we were in the passage before last week. Uh, but a few uh, passages ago in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus already said that he came that we might have life to the full, that we might have life abundantly. Uh, now he's in this last night with his disciples. This is all kind of slowed down, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. This is all this one last night with the disciples where Jesus is preparing his closest followers to go into the world and to live on his mission. And what he's going to describe in this passage, specifically in verse 5, is what it takes to actually make a difference. He's going to tell them, go into the, all the world, make disciples, experience my spirit, go with my blessing, change the world, is kind of what he's going to say. How do, how do you actually make a difference? Look, look with me at verse 5. If you have your Bible, uh, look at John chapter 15, verse 5. Here's what Jesus says. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. How are we going to have a fruitful life? We have to abide in Jesus. Now, Jesus uses this imagery of a vine. And if you're like me, when you hear that, you kind of imagine uh, sort of like a weed-like thing going up a wall. Uh, Jesus here specifically is talking about a grape vine. And so uh, let's show you a picture of this. Um, in a way, th these look a little bit more like trees. And so Jesus says, I am the vine. When he's talking about that he's the vine, he's actually talking about that kind of, uh, I don't know, the trunk, if you will. These trunks are all the vine. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those are the, the parts that are connected to this trunk. He says, I'm the vine. I'm the one that's providing nourishment. I'm the one that's providing resources. I'm the one that's providing strength. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. That fruit looks good, doesn't it? It's juicy and looks ripe. You could make all sorts of great stuff with that fruit, some jam, some wine. 
But, but, but that fruit isn't delicious unless it's attached to the vine. That's what gives it its strength. That's what gives it its power. It has to abide. The moment it's connect, disconnected and cut off from that vine, it stops being delicious, good fruit, and it starts dying. The word that Jesus uses in verse 5 is the word abide. And this word is actually a word that he uses, believe it, 11 times in verses 1 through 17. 11 times he says the word abide. It's a word that means to remain, to stay, to reside. Go back to that uh, picture for, for just a moment. And I want to ask you, as you look at that fruit, what is that fruit doing in order to be fruit? What is it doing? Nothing, <laughs> right? What, what is making the fruit go? It's the vine. It's not the fruit. The job of the fruit, in a sense, as Jesus is saying, is just to abide. It's just to remain. It's just, hey, don't fall off. So much of our Christian life could be, in a sense, reduced to just stay where you are, close to Jesus. And so that's what we want to talk about today, is how to live a fruitful life. And the fruitful life is the life of remaining, of abiding, of staying right where we are, close to to Jesus. How do, how do you live a fruitful life? That's what we're going to talk about. So let's pray and uh, we'll dig into it. Father, we thank you for Jesus the vine. Lord, we don't want to spend our lives for nothing. We don't want to fill it with activity that's actually fruitless. So help us, Lord. Teach us how to live a fruitful life, how to abide. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do you live a fruitful life? You abide in Jesus. Now, I want to ask just a, a, a three questions about this passage and, and kind of help us to get thinking about how, what it looks like to abide, to remain in Jesus. The first question I have is, why this imagery? Why is Jesus using this imagery? Now, this imagery, for one thing, would be just common in everyday life. He would be able to describe this, and everyone in his world, in his audience, and if his disciples would have known uh, what a grapevine looked like. It's possible that perhaps, I mean, there's an indication maybe uh, at the end of verse 14 where he says, rise, let us go from here. Uh, maybe they're kind of walking their way toward the Garden of uh, Gethsemane, and maybe they pass by a vine. We, we don't know that. That's speculation. They would have been familiar with this imagery, but even more... Jesus is using this imagery not because it was kind of a familiar word picture to these first century Jews because of their, their agrarian life, actually because of the theological significance of the vine. In order to understand this, you've got to just understand a little bit of the history of, of the people of Israel. So uh, God had created everyone in his image, good, bearing his image. It was all very good. And Adam and Eve distrust the heart of God, and they plunge the world into sin. And God, rather than just abandoning Adam and Eve and saying, okay, I guess this humanity thing, we're, we're throwing it in the scrap heap, he chooses Abraham to form a nation, the people of Israel. And he says, this nation, Israel, is going to be a model to the rest of humanity. So Israel was chosen by God to be this kind of exemplar humanity. The problem is, Israel, which also had sin in their hearts, just kept failing. And so the imagery shows up over and over and over in the Old Testament, describing Israel as a vine. Israel is supposed to be this vine that bears delicious fruit, and instead, Israel is this vine that keeps 
failing. Here's just an example of this in Isaiah chapter 5. The prophet says this, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. This is God describing God having a, a vineyard. He dug it and cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? God's saying, Israel, I gave you everything you needed. Right? This, is, this is how you feel like toward your kids. When you just, you're like, I, I mean, God's going like, I, I read you all the books. I, I, I played classical music into your mother's tummy while you were in utero. I gave you all the ergonomically perfect pacifiers to help with your overbite. I, I, I put you in the best schools. I provided the best childcare. God's saying, Israel, I've done everything for you. And yet still, you're a vine growing wild grapes. And so get this, when Jesus then in verse one of chapter 15, look at it with me, when he says, I am the true vine, they would have not just understood that because they understood agrarian life, they would have said, oh my goodness, here's what Jesus is saying, Jesus is the true humanity. Jesus is the representative human who's supposed to show the rest of the world what life's supposed to be like. That's what Israel was to be, and they constantly failed. Jesus is the true Israelite. Jesus is the true human. Jesus is the true vine. Now, this shouldn't surprise us because we've been reading the Gospel of John, and what we see as we read through the Gospel of John is that you will not have a fruitful life apart from Jesus. He's the way and the truth and the life. He's the one that was sent by the Father so that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. He's the light of the world so that we wouldn't have to walk in darkness. Jesus is the true vine. So why this imagery from Jesus? Because he's saying, hey, listen, if you're going to live a fruitful life, it's not by following the right principles. It's not by obeying the right rules. It's by being connected to me. Jesus is the true humanity. Here's a second question about this uh, idea of abiding. is how do we abide? Right, this is what Jesus says, verse five. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from you, me, you can do nothing. Okay, so, so if abiding is mostly just remaining, it's just staying, how do we do that? How do we, how do we keep ourselves in a sense from falling away, knowing that it really is God who holds on to us? Well, there's a vertical dimension to this between us and God. And there's a horizontal dimension that we see here in this passage. The vertical dimension is pretty simple. Is in order to abide, in order to remain close to Jesus, his words have to abide in us. Do you see verse 7? If you abide in me and my words abide in you. So part of abiding is this vertical dimension where we're listening to God. We're hearing his voice. The way we do this is, is by the scriptures. God has spoken. This is God's word. We believe that when the, the scripture speaks, God is speaking. So much so that to disbelieve or disobey any part of scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. That's the authority that we believe the scripture has. And so that Jesus is saying, hey, you need to have my word in you. Listen, friends, 
we can scurry around and do a lot and be active and do all kinds of even good things. But if the words of Jesus aren't finding a home in our heart, it's going to be hard to abide. And, and I've got to tell you, if this moment on Sunday is the only time that God's word comes into your heart, you're going to be starving spiritually. And so we have to have a vertical dimension of, of reading God's word, listening to God's word, hearing God's word, meditating, thinking about God's word, having Jesus' words remain in us. The, the other part of the vertical dimension is, is prayer. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In other words, you're gonna start praying and, and your prayers, because you're in the presence of Jesus, you're close to Jesus, your prayers are gonna be more and more aligned with the heart of Jesus. And so there's this vertical dimension that to abide is to, is to be connected relationally to God. Now, I know that for some of you, that's just a mind-blowing idea because you thought that God was sort of just up there as kind of a, a cosmic referee with a clipboard, keeping track fail, fail. Oh, that was nice. Fail, fail. That was nice. And that's not who God is. God has come as a person in Jesus and he wants a relationship with us. And so his words abide in us and we pray to him. There's also though a horizontal dimension. So not only is abiding about how we connect with God, but abiding is also, as we see in this passage, how we love one another. I want to make sure you see this connection. So uh, verse four, uh, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So, so the first thing is we have to abide in Jesus. Well, what does that look like? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That's interesting. Okay, well, what's the commandment? Well, verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another, he says, as I have loved you. Wow, think about this for a moment. Because I think for a lot of us, especially just to talk for those of you more experienced Christians, when you've heard John 15, 5, abide in me, apart from me, you can do nothing, you've thought it almost entirely in terms of that vertical dimension. And you've thought, you know what, I, if I, I could be so close to God if I could just get on some sort of desert island with just me and a Bible. And what this part says is no. Actually, the way that you are also close to God is by loving one another. Think about the logic of this. Abiding, Jesus says, equals keeping his commandments, which equals love one another. And this is what Jesus has been saying throughout this whole section is love one another, love one another. Chapter 13, verses one to five, he said, I want you to be a servant. I want you to do what I do. This is where Jesus gets the towel down and he washes his disciples' feet. And he takes the lowest place. He takes the place of service. He takes the place of a slave. And that's what it is to love one another as he has loved us. Matt Chandler says it this way. He says, love says, I've seen the ugly parts of you and I'm staying. That's what Jesus did for us, isn't it? He washed our ugly feet and he stayed. He died on a cross in place of our sins and he stayed. He didn't look at us and think, oh, you're so lovely, you're so great, you're so faithful, you're so compliant, oh, I'm so glad to be here for you. He loved us, and in spite of our sin, he stayed. That's what love is. 
And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, if you want to remain in my love, not only do you need to hear my word and pray back to me, but you need to keep loving one another. Keep showing each other my love. And as we actually experience these tangible touches of, of, of love through one another, it's the way that God continues to love us. So we follow Jesus in a life of self-sacrifice. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, in just a few hours, Jesus will literally do this. He will lay down his life for his friends. But the life of a disciple, the life of a follower of Jesus, what everyone who's getting baptized today, in a sense, is declaring through their baptism is saying, I'm going to live a life of self-sacrifice. I'm gonna live a life of laying down my life for my friends, and not just my friends, but my enemies. You know what this is like, right? All love is self-sacrificial, isn't it? You know, my, my wife, Molly, today, she's, uh, she's right now probably watching on the live stream. Hi, honey. Uh, because our uh, seven-year-old Mary is sick. She's got a cold. And, uh, and today, I mean, Molly's parents are in town today and baptisms of some of our closest family friends today. And I know she's just like, oh, I wish I could be there. But instead, she's sacrificing to love Mary, and she'll probably get sick from Mary because that's what happens when you care for your sick kids. You catch their sickness, right? Love is self-sacrificial. Some of you, you're caging, caring for your aging parents. Some of you, you're giving money to causes that serve the poor. Some of you are experiencing criticism and you're not fighting back, you're, you're absorbing it. Some of you, you, you've had to confess some sins and that has felt like death to you. Others of you have had to forgive someone who confessed sins and that has felt like death to you. Some of you are sticking up for unlikable colleagues at work. Some of you are, are, are risking sharing the gospel with someone who's gonna think you're nuts for believing it. Listen, the way of Jesus is the way of self sacrifice. How do we abide? Well, vertically, we stay connected with God through the word and through prayer. And horizontally, we love one another. Well, here's the last question. What will abiding bring? What will abiding bring? Well, this passage is, is pretty elaborate about it. What he says is if you don't abide, you're going to have a fruitless, barren life. Right? Verse four says there will be no fruit. Uh, verse 2 says, if you don't bear fruit, you're taken away. Verse 5 says, if you don't abide in Jesus, you can't do anything. Verse 6 says, if you don't bear fruit and you can't do anything, that you get thrown away and withers. Verse 6 talks about being gathered and burned. I don't know that this is necessarily an image for hell, but what it is saying is you're not living out your purpose. You're not doing what you were called to do. And ultimately, I suppose as a person, if ultimately you, you forever stay apart from Jesus, then hell is in your future. But if you want to live a life that, that is fruitful, a life that counts for something, we have to abide. Look at what happens if we abide. Verse 4 says, if we abide, when we abide, we bear much fruit. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. This is interesting, actually, though, when you think about this. The vine 
nourishes the branch. And then who does the fruit nourish? Everyone else. Isn't that interesting? The fruit of our lives is not just for us. It's actually what God's saying is, I want to pour into you and live through you in such a way that you'll feed others, that you'll give delight to others, that you'll give joy and blessing to others. If we abide, we bear much fruit. If we abide, uh, we ask what we want and we receive it. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And Seth, I think, talked about this a few weeks ago, but this doesn't mean uh, name it, claim it, uh, get your Mercedes today. He's saying if you're close to Jesus, you're going to ask for the things that are on the heart of Jesus. And Jesus is going to say, I'd love, I'd love for you to have that. You're going to say, Lord, help my, help my 20-something kid who's walked away from the faith. Bring them back. And God's not going... Nah, that's stupid. You know, I have a heart for that. You're going, Lord, give me power to resist this sin that just keeps coming at me. He's not going to go, dumb request, selfish. He's going to give you power. He's going to answer your prayer. What else happens when we abide? When we abide, we glorify God. Look at verse 8. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That's the other thing that happens is we prove to be his disciples. You can actually begin to have the confidence that you are his disciple, not because you've earned it, but because the fruit of your life is showing that you really know him. There's joy. We experience the fullness of joy and growing joy. It says in verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Bearing fruit, answers to prayer, glorifying God, proving to be Jesus' disciple, growing sense of joy. Oh my goodness, that sounds amazing. But also, verse 2 says we'll be pruned. Look again with me at 15 verses 1. And two, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Imagine you're a vine being pruned. How's it feel? Like, does it, how does, a, how does a gardener prune the vine? Like, get out the essential oils and massage it? Well, what does he do? He gets out shears. And shears are what? Sharp. Right, which means that if you're being pruned by, by, by the, the gardener, what are you saying all the time? Ow! 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 Stop it! Ow! That's what it is to be pruned. And here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, actually, if you bear fruit, I'm going to prune you so that you'll bear more fruit. And so sometimes we're going through life saying, ow, ow, ow. And sometimes we're doing that because we're dumb. And we sin, right? 
I think John Wayne said, life is tough. It's tougher if you're stupid, right? <laughs> and so some, sometimes we're saying, ow, because we're just dumb. But sometimes we're faithful. Sometimes we're doing exactly what God's called us to do. And it just feels like we run into wall after wall and suffering comes and diagnosis comes and pain comes and challenge comes. And we're going, ow, 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 ow. God, where are you? And he says, I'm right here. I love you so much that I'm going to prune you. So for those of you getting baptized today, for those of you who've been baptized, for those of you that haven't been baptized and don't trust in Jesus, here's what I want to tell you today. The only life that counts forever is the life that abides in Jesus. Him holding on to us, us staying in his presence. That's the grace he gives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the vine, the faithful human, the true son of God and son of man, the faithful one who's faithful even when we're faithless. And so God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is faithful and good and true and beautiful. And God, we ask you that we would be able to remain in him. God, we thank you for how he has stayed, for how he has given himself for us, how he's laid down his life so that we could have life. God, thank you that he took it up again to guarantee that the life we have is real. And God, we pray now that you would keep us in your love, that you would hold us fast, that you would abide in us and we would abide in you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.